Let's pray together and let's uh, jump right in. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you so much that we as a church family can come together, sit under it, and drink deeply from it. And so we do pray that as we jump in this term into the letter of 2 Peter, help it enrich our lives and help us to have the, um, and, and to be more captivated by your Son and to point one another to him above all else. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard of the 3.5-star review Chinese Restaurant Theory? I learned about it for the first time a couple of weeks ago as I was trying to find a place to eat. Okay, so the theory goes, if you're looking for a Chinese restaurant and its rating isn't around three and a half stars, then it's not good. It's not authentic. It's not going to have real, authentic Chinese food. See, if the rating is too high, like four or five, then apparently something's not right. You know, maybe it's too clean there or the service is too good. Because according to the theory, right, in Asia, real Chinese waiters, they aren't proactive. They're not going to come up to you. They're not going to refill your drink. You need to you know, flag them down. The waiters might even be a bit rude. So in Western countries like us here in New Zealand, people will bag on the place because of the service and you know, give it a bad rating. But here's the thing. The food is still going to taste good. The service sucks. The place is dirty. But because of the food, it balances out. And so, the authentic, yummy Chinese restaurants will get three-and-a-half-star reviews. Not three, not four, three-and-a-half. That's the sweet spot. Bad service, good food. It's a crack-up theory, isn't it? I haven't tested it out yet. I wonder what review Dumpling Hours has. But it got me thinking, what's the sweet spot for the authentic Christian life? What review would God give us if he looked at our lives and were to say, Yep, they've lived the authentic Christian life. Because you see, we get a picture of that life, not just in today's passage, but in the series that we're starting from today for the rest of the term. See, we've called this series Living Life Backwards, because for the next few weeks, we'll be working our way through this short book of 2 Peter. And it's a book all about how we might know the kind of lives God wants us to live as we wait for the return of Jesus, the judge and savior of the world. And so what does you know, living life backwards have to do with all that? Well, it's because the authentic Christian life, the true Christian life, is shaped by our expectations of the future. This is the three and a half star review Christian, a person who is expectant. We're expecting Jesus Christ to keep his promises about the future and that changes everything about how we live our lives today. And really, this all makes sense from this letter because the letter to Peter is the Apostle Peter's second and last letter. He writes from a prison in Rome, most probably around 60 to 68 AD, under Emperor Nero's reign and well-documented mass persecution of Christians. And so this letter has a kind of farewell speech kind of vibe. And fittingly, history has it that the Apostle Peter, the author of this letter, died by crucifixion upside down under Emperor Nero's reign. And so what Peter's doing in this letter is he wants us to make it. He wants us to make it in the Christian life as we live in this world. So just have a look with me at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. It's up on the screen. For in this way... Entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. 
See, what's being pictured here is kind of like an Olympic champion winning the gold medal and returning home and the welcome he'd receive. Or, or, or kind of like, more relevant, the All Blacks somehow winning the Rugby World Cup this year. I've I still got faith, all right? You know, I still got faith. And, and what it'd be like for them to return home to New Zealand and the welcome they'd received at the airport. It's that sort of picture that we're meant to have from this verse where Jesus welcomes us home after a victorious Christian life. And that's what 2 Peter is all about. He wants us to make sure we get to heaven and we know how to live accordingly. Now, the way that Peter does this throughout the letter is through something I like to kind of think of as the 1 in 60 rule. So have you heard of, ever heard of that? The 1 in 60 rule. Airplane pilots use this rule to ensure that they get to their destination. Now, I'm not going to get into all the math because, you know, this is kind of nerdy, but one degree is a very small adjustment for the cockpit, uh, in the cockpit for a pilot. But being just one degree off can result in being many miles off, of course, from their destination. So they use this 1 in 60 rule to work their way backwards from their destination to know the direction that they need to be heading in. And so similarly, Peter constantly orientates us towards our future destination in Jesus. He wants us to work our way backwards to make sure we're not even one degree off because he doesn't want us to miss our destination. See, this letter is absolutely chocker with this view of the end. So for example, we saw it a little bit there in verse 11 in chapter 1, but then in chapter 2, in verse 9, he speaks of this coming judgment from God. Then in chapter 3, he really, really ramps it up. So in, verses, in chapter 3, verses 4 and 7, he challenges those who mock Christians about their view of the end. And then in verses 12, 13, and 14, up on the screen, there's this repeated phrase, as we wait, while we wait, as we wait for the new heavens and new earth. Just have a look with me at the way that the letter ends. So I put this on the screen as well. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So 2 Peter is all about orientating us towards our future as Christians and that future shaping how we live in this world as we wait. And that's why we've called this series Living Life Backwards. Keep that at the back of your minds over the next few weeks. Now, if that's the whole letter, what about our passage today? How does it fit in? Well, the first thing Peter wants us to know about the authentic Christian life, the three and a half star of you, Christian, is our trajectory. See, God expects his people to grow, to keep moving forward, to not stay still, but to keep pressing on. But here's the thing. I get that in a church of our size and in most churches, there's a variety of life stages. And you could even say a variety of Christian life stages. So for example, at our morning campuses, we've got first-time parents. And for these people, sleep deprivation went from a theory to reality. For others of us, we're young adults. Maybe we're working and studying at the same time. And this year has just felt like a never-ending list of demands and pressures. And we feel like we just can't change our situation. How do you keep growing as a Christian when these are the sort of scenarios that is our life now? We've got a number of new or newish Christians, and growth is really fresh and rewarding. And some of them are going to get baptized next week. And so it seems really obvious where we could grow. 
But we've also got some amongst us who would have been Christians for maybe five, 10, 20, 30 plus years. And when you get asked the question, how have you been growing as a Christian lately? If you're honest with yourself, your answer is actually, I can't say that I have. How do you get out of that rut and keep growing as God expects us to be? To be on this Godward trajectory in this life as we wait. That's the question Peter's answering in our passage today. So come with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It's up on the screen. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything required for life and godliness. So how do we keep growing as Christians in this life? Peter's first answer to us is yes. Yes, you can, because the power of the Lord Jesus Christ has given us everything we need. See, he didn't just give us what we need for our eternal future. He's given us what we need to grow as Christians in this very moment in time. Now, that sounds really obvious, right? But if you think about it, there's always a reason for us to put off godly living, whether that's due to a lack of sleep or or being too busy or stressed at work at the moment. Maybe you feel like you haven't had much me time. Whatever it is, Peter's saying God hasn't just given you enough energy to get through. Often I find myself just praying to God for, for energy or strength to get through. No, no, no. Peter's saying Jesus has given you everything you need to be godly in this very season of life that you're in. But the question is, what has God actually given us to grow? Well, the other month I was binge-watching random clips from the Harry Potter movies on YouTube and I reckon sometimes we can be a bit tempted to think what God does, a, does for us is a bit like Harry Potter. And he just waves his magic wand, and as long as I just pray, ask God to give me the power, then we'll get through whatever we're wrestling with. Sometimes I reckon that's how we can be tempted to treat God's spirit. Now, of course, I don't want us to be discouraging to pray, for, I don't want it to be discouraging us to pray for God's help. But just have a look at what Peter says about what God's actually given us at the end of verse 3. I put it on the screen. God's divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So, What has God given us to grow? What's this magical thing? Well, it's not very magical. It's the knowledge of God and his precious promises to us. Now, this is really important because we can easily go, knowledge, promises, how is that going to help me when I'm going through so much hardship? Well, as I was trying to, you know, figure this out, uh, the other day I was re-looking at some notes for running a wedding for a young couple that's coming up. And I was reminded, I was looking at these notes, of the vows these couples, this couple will say to each other. You know, those promises to, to have and to hold one another, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And when the groom, when he says those promises to the bride, she doesn't then go, oh, thank you for that piece of information. Thank you for that knowledge, but it's not going to be very helpful. No, no, when the bride and groom say those words to each other, What they're doing is inviting each other to know one another intimately and deeply more than anyone else in this world. And they're giving each other promises that no matter what, they will not leave. 
And these promises are transformative. Their lives change from that moment on. And what Peter's saying here is, that's exactly what God's done for us. God's promised and committed himself to us in the gospel. So how do we keep on this Godward trajectory? It's actually when we sit, understand, and appreciate not just knowing more about Jesus, but resting in the precious promises that God has given us. That we constantly look back to what Christ has achieved and promised at the cross, and we look forward to what God is bringing and promises in the future. See, one of the temptations that we can fall into in the pursuit of the authentic Christian life, especially when we're stuck in a rut, is a thirst for more. You know, it's so easy to to look at others and think they are far more spiritual than we are. You know, they're growing so much, they have it all together. And so it's easy for us to feel insignificant, inadequate, or we're lacking something in our relationship with God when we don't feel like we're growing. And the danger is, we have this knowledge of the gospel and God's precious promises, but we think there's more. So we go hunting for, you know, clickbait titles, six easy steps to godliness, or or we go looking for some other teaching, something that'll give us a buzz or make us feel good. And we may even try putting on rules or regulations in our lives, whatever it is, while they might work for a time, they don't ever lead to lasting change. See, the real key sign that you and I are on this Godward trajectory is that we start seeing a shift in our knowledge of God. We shift from knowing more and more things about Jesus to knowing Jesus is the one who has called me and committed himself to me. We move from, I'm not sure if my sins are forgivable, to actually, I'm assured that when Jesus promises my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, then I can be confident in that. It's a shift from, I think I need to make up for the sins I've done this past week, to actually, God has promised me His Holy Spirit, and His Spirit lives in me. So even though I've fallen, I can still share in His divine nature and say no to my sinful natures. It's those precious promises and heaps more that will help us keep growing as we wait for the return of Jesus. Now, just as an aside, some of you might be wondering, what is this sharing in the divine nature that we see at the end of verse 4? Well, it's not that we become God. The Bible's always been clear that there is only one God, and He can't change. We can't add or take away from God. Sharing in the divine nature is simply another way of saying Christians are united to Christ, that Jesus' spirit dwells in us as Christians. And over time, in our union with Christ, Jesus' nature is replacing our own sinful nature. That over time, with God's help, by His Spirit, through His precious promises, we'll put off sin and say yes to godly living. And that's actually sharing in our likeness to Jesus. Now, there's a story of a famous Christian writer called Karl Barth. And some of you might have heard of him, but he's a man who's probably collectively smarter than all of us. He wrote tons of volumes on the Christian life and wrestled with the Bible every day, okay? And towards the end of his life, he was at a seminar, and one of his students asked him, Mr. Bart, 
Uh, can you summarize your life's work uh, of, on theology in one sentence? Insane ask, right? But Mr. Bart, he thought about it for a bit, and he said, he said yes. And do you know what he said? He didn't say some magical thing that took him like 50 years to figure out over the course of his Christian life. No, he said this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A life's work dedicated to understanding and growing in the Christian faith and a summary of his life's work and growth was summarized in a children's song about Jesus' love for him. See, friends, growing in our faith is not just knowing more about God. It's about listening, revisiting, and renewing those original promises God gave us as young Christians. And then asking ourselves, how has God been faithful to me in the last 5, 10, 30-plus years that I've been around? So I want to say to those of us who have been stuck in a bit of a rut in our Christian lives, maybe you've been a Christian for a really long time, Is it time to renew some of those vows? Those vows God gave you and promised you all those years ago. But for others of us, maybe you're here today and not yet a Christian. Maybe today is the day where you take God at his word. That you decide, I can trust his promises. And I'm going to respond to them today in faith. Whoever we are, God has given us great and very precious promises that will empower us to live the Christian life today, tomorrow, all the way into eternity. Now, at this point, we could think, great, that's it. I've got what I need in my head, and that should lead to action. But what's interesting is what Peter says next. So have a look with me at verse 5. It's up on the screen. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay, let's just stop there. See, he doesn't say, think really hard about God's promises, then you'll grow. He says, think about what God has given you and make every effort at the same time. So it's not think about it and then you'll do it. He says, think about it and do it. It's kind of like trying to ride a bike. You can learn all the theory, read all the books, watch videos on it, but it's not until you actually get on the bike and give it a go that you'll see progress. Now, I just want to be a bit clear here for a moment. When he says supplement your faith, he doesn't mean earn your salvation, like, you know, you need to add to it. It's not like our faith in Jesus isn't enough to forgive all our sins. See, I just want to come to this early in the letter. We skipped over it, but in verse 1, it's a very, very powerful verse. Probably one verse memorizing, worth memorizing. It's up on the screen. It says this. Simeon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith equal to ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. See, this verse is saying three crucial things we can't forget. Okay, first one. First one's short. Jesus Christ is God. He calls Jesus God here. Second one is that our faith is incredibly precious. It's a gift from God himself. Did you notice that? Faith is something we receive. Without God's spirit working in us, we're spiritually dead. We're powerless to bring ourselves from that deadness. But if you're here and you trust in Jesus, God's already worked in you. He's resuscitated you and gifted you a faith that you've received. And thirdly, 
No matter how much faith you have, however small you think it is, if you've received a faith from God as a gift and you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a first-class citizen in God's eyes. All of us. See, there are all sorts of roles and offices throughout God's church family history, whether it's apostles like Peter who saw Jesus in the flesh and wrote letters like this, theologians like Karl Barth, lecturers, pastors and leaders in our church family. There are all sorts of roles and offices in the family, but what there isn't is a pecking order. It's not like there's the first class and then there's the business class and the rest of us are in economy. No, we've all received the same precious faith that makes us equals in God's eyes. Now, what does this have to do with supplementing our faith in verse 5? Well, what it means is we all have the same VIP gym membership. See, if you have a gym membership, you have access to all the facilities that the gym has to offer you. We have everything we need. But unless we supplement our gym membership with hard work, hours of training, protein shakes, sweat and pain. I speak theoretically here. I haven't actually tried. <laughs> that membership is meaningless to us. Yes, God has given us everything we need, but do we actually understand what it means to be a member of God's family? See, God made an enormous sacrifice to save us. It wasn't uncostly for him to forgive us and give us life. He gave up his one and only son, Jesus, for that. But he understood what was at stake. Our eternal destiny, heaven or hell, eternal judgment or eternal joy. And if we truly grasp what is at stake, not just know about what's at stake, but truly know it, then we'll make every effort to grow in what God's given us. See, the last few months... I've been trying to get into gardening. You know, I bought all this gear, spades, gloves, weed killer. I even subscribed to one of those garden wheelie bins from Waste Management. I'm locked in for the year, all right? And the thing that I've realized with gardening is it takes a ton of effort to grow anything of value. And you know, I've been trying to grow these lettuce sproutlings you bought from Mitre 10, and it sounds so stupid, but unless you water them every day and put in some effort to look after them, maybe even some fertilizer, they won't grow. Our lettuce has got brown leaves. But that's not the worst part, all right? The worst part of gardening is, if you don't put in any effort, then weeds just grow on their own. The good stuff starts dying, and the weeds, they come without any effort. And this is, unfortunately, a lot like living in this world here, now, here and now. Without any effort, sin just grows on its own. But growing to be more like Jesus, that takes effort. That takes supplementing our faith. So, the reality is, if you've been finding it hard to grow as a Christian in this season of life, maybe you haven't felt like you've been growing much at all, and I want to say it really is hard. But the question we need to be asking ourselves is, have we been putting in the effort? We are so good at putting in the effort to, to dress well for the day, finding time to, to study for our exams and assignments. We put in a lot of effort to all sorts of things. But the challenge is, do we put that same effort to grow as Christians? 
Peter goes on to unpack what this growth should look like in verse 5. It's up on the screen. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, we shouldn't think of Peter's list here as a, as a chain or a sequence, as if we can't grow in perseverance until we've developed self-control. We also shouldn't think of this list as, as a complete list, as though we shouldn't put any effort in growing, for example, kindness or, or gentleness or joy or peace or gentleness and so on. The only pattern that I, I think I can see is maybe the sense of, of inward qualities, inward qualities that begin with God towards other-centered qualities. But if anything, I reckon Peter's just giving us a sample list here, an idea list if you like, These are the kinds of things Christians are to put effort into cultivating. Spiritual weeds like laziness, selfishness, impatience, anger, hatred, they grow by themselves. But this list, this here in verse 5, it takes effort and God's Spirit at work in us. See, many in our country would look at this list and say, oh yeah, that's a pretty good list, but which one do you think they'll be keen to chop off first? I reckon it'd be faith. How is faith useful? And it's because we are ultimately dependent on God to work in us and change us. See, we can put in all this effort to pluck out the weeds, plant the seeds, water the soil, but at the end of the day, it's God who gives the growth. Someone once said, growing to be more like Jesus is kind of like being on a boat. But it isn't like a a rowboat where, you know, you take your paddles and with all your own strength, you use that to move it along. And it isn't like a motorboat where the engine does all the work and you just sit back and relax. No, the Christian life is like being on a sailboat where you and the wind work together. The power to move that boat depends entirely on the wind. But without playing an active role in responding to the wind's power, you're not going to go anywhere. And the wind in the Christian life's sails is God's Spirit by His Word. And God's Word is saying this in verse 8. This is the great news. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the best news is is He doesn't say we must possess these qualities perfectly here and now. He says they're to be evident an increasing measure. Something we love saying here at EV at Uni Church, but I haven't heard it for a while, is that our best days as Christians are always ahead of us. And that means you never retire from being a Christian. And we say this because God expects his people to grow. Whether that means, you know, coming along to recharge or refresh events, meeting up with someone one-to-one to read the Bible, thinking about ways on how you could be serving your church family, Maybe thinking about things you can get rid of in your life that aren't helping you to live this life. Doing whatever you can to take that next step, no matter how big or small. But let me be clear here. Not every day is necessarily going to be better than the last. It's not the day-by-day zigzag fluctuations we're talking about here. It's that overall trend, our overall trajectory. See, just think with me on this. When we receive and put our faith in Jesus' death in our place, 
we're made new. And at that moment, God dealt with the penalty of sin once and for all. It is finished. It really is. But here's the thing. If we're truly made new and God has called us, slowly but surely, the power of sin loses its grip on us. And it's only on that final day, the last day that Peter points to when Jesus returns, that the presence of sin will finally be gone. See, that's the Christian life in a nutshell. God works in us to first deal with the penalty of sin and then the power of sin over time and finally on that last day, the presence of sin. Now I get it. At this point, some of us are still going to be a little bit confused. Is it you know, God working in us to grow or is it all my own effort? Which is it? Well, what this passage and the Bible teaches is that God is ultimately always in control. It's all his work in saving us. But at the same time, he's given us real responsibility to live a life that responds to and confirms his grace. Now, there's a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. We've put a picture of it up on the screen, and it deals with this very question. God's control over everything and our responsibility when it comes to living a fruitful life and sharing the gospel. It's a really clear and simple book, if this is still tripping you up, a short 120 pages, and you can grab it at the bookstore today if you like. And this brings us to our final point, God word confirmation. So let's pick it up from verse 10 up on the screen. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be richly provided for you. Later this year, Angela's dad, my wife Angela's dad, is coming in from Taiwan to stay with us for a few months to spend time with us and spend time with his grandkids, right? We bought him the tickets, and he's been really, really excited. But over the past few weeks, his eagerness, and he's a little bit older, has meant he's constantly been asking questions like, you know, what seat am I going to be on on the plane? How do I check on the flights? Can I check in now? Uh, And in many ways, his worry and his excitement is exactly what we need as Christians while we wait for Jesus to return. We want to, verse 10, confirm our calling and election from God. See, as I was looking at the flight details for Angela's dad, the airline website actually had this to say about why we check in. It says this, the check-in process at airports enables passengers to confirm they will be on the correct flight. See, Peter wants us to make it as Christians, to confirm that we're on the correct flight. And even though we're still waiting for Jesus to return, unlike Angela's dad, now's the time for us to check into our flight. See, throughout this series, we're going to be seeing more and more about what that check-in process looks like. But today, the first thing to know about this check-in process is making every effort to grow to be more like Jesus. And the beautiful thing about the Christian life is that by doing that, by putting in that effort, we grow more confident in God's work in us, by His Spirit, through His Word, and God's work in us will lead us to grow more and more and put in that effort. They just roll around together in increasing measure. I mentioned earlier in this talk that it's kind of like trying to ride a bike, right? The Christian life. Uh, And other than being run over, the only way you can fall off a bike is to stop moving forward, stagnating, coming to a standstill. 
Peter's encouraging us here today, don't let that happen. He wants us to make it. God wants us to make it. He's given us everything we need. He'll even pick us up when we fall. And so we can freely and confidently make every effort to grow in our likeness to Jesus. And so as we close, no matter what life stage you're in, however long you've been following Jesus, let's pray that our best days as Christians are always ahead of us. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you've given us everything we need to live in this life and to continue to grow in our likeness to your son, Jesus. And we pray that the best days, our best days as Christians will always be ahead of us as we long for your son, Jesus, to return. Please help us to continue to dwell richly on your precious promises, everything you've given us, and to continue to help one another to that end as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.